So Andy, where did it all begin? I mean, your father was a professional rugby league player. Was he a, a big influence on you? Uh, not really, no. He, uh, he, my dad played at Salford with his tw twin brother, my uncle Harold. And uh, by the time we knew anything really, my dad had, had, had done his nine years at Salford and uh, he'd left and uh, it was left to my mum really to fetch us up. My mum took us to school and uh, when we finished school, my two brothers, mainly my younger brother Bryn, Neil used to come and play on the field every now and again, but we, we never took a football or a cricket ball. We all over on Britannia Bridge school playing fields. And, uh, you know, we'd get there at four o'clock after school and my mum, Laura, said come in after eight o'clock to get us in and bath us and put us to bed. So that's really where, where, where I started. And, uh, you know, we didn't play uh, rugby until I went to Welly Middle School and it was Mr. Birchall who's been a massive part of my career and he was uh, along with other teachers but it was Mr. Birchall at Welling Middle who got me introduced to Rugby League. If I was just to sum him up in two words, he was tiny and talented. He was the smallest lad in the year, he was the youngest boy in the year. Uh, he also, when I say bullied, bigger people, he was chippy, he would, he would get them to chase him, he would dance away. He also had the smallest hands, and even though we used a size four ball, that was a problem. But what you got with Greg, uh, when you're running sides at kids' level, uh, kids come in and there's some athletic, some are big, some are strong, some are brave, some are quick and a bit soft. So you have to look round and try and find a position for these people. With Greg, there was absolutely no doubt at all that there was only one position for him. He was having it and he was going to play there. It was a typical number seven. He had a big head, a big mouth and loads of talent. You mentioned Mr Birchall. What did Mr Birchall uh, bring to your game? How, he, how... He, he, you know, he, he could see that I had a talent and he could see that I was an awkward kid as well. And I remember one day, uh, you won't get away with it now, but he gave me the pump because I didn't want to play rugby. I wanted to go to the baths and swim because I was in an awkward mood. And I knew I could play rugby then, but uh, Mr. Butchall sent me to play rugby. And when I got back, I got the pump. So, uh, but he, he, he stuck me to it. You know, Cliff Fleming, who's no longer with us, when I went to join Wigan St. Patrick's, he, uh, he dragged me off the field over at St. St. Williams. And uh, I was playing an open AIDS game there then. And uh, Cliff, invited me down to Wigan St Patrick's and that's where my St Pat's day started. Attacking wise and passing the ball and kicking, that's only half the game. The other half of the game is the defensive side of the game. When did you first learn to tackle? When did you first recover from that, that first time you really hurt on a rugby well, field? Well, it, it's funny because uh, tackling, if anybody played with me, played again, wasn't one of my... I wasn't the best tackler in the world and uh, I remember I've been called many things throughout my career some I can't really uh, say and some which I can but one which uh, sticks in my mind was John Mona. Uh, he, caught, he, he just came out of it, you know, one, one after, I think it was during one half time and he said, Greg, you just remind me of like a speed bump. And everybody's looking, he said like, you know, in his Australian accent, he said, what's a speed bump like? And he said, well, you know, it's what they have in the road to slow things down, but they don't stop them. We, we used to call him speed bump. Never stopped, you know, you know, never stopped him. He just uh, hit him and slowed him down and they just walked all over him. I and mean, he's just hoping that yeah, the likes of Andy, uh, Andy Platt or Calvin Skerritt come in and uh, slow him down a little bit more. 
while you're still at St. Pat's, you actually played a game for Salford against Barrow at the Willows and uh, up against a, a, a favourite uh, Wigan scrum half in Jimmy Nolte and won the Man of the Match award. Yeah, it was, it was funny because uh, Albert White, who was a big influence on my career at amateur level and at Salford, and uh, he was a close mate of Alex Murphy's. And uh, I played a game on the Sunday and Ale Albert White asked me to go training on the Tuesday at Salford. Anyway, I went down training and then he said, uh, can you make it Thursday? You've got a game Friday. So all I remember is I was walking away and I'm thinking, train Thursday, play Friday. And I didn't know if it was the A team or the first team. So as I'm walking away, I remember Alex Murphy saying to uh, Albert White, he's not very big, is he? And Albert said, don't worry, don't worry, he won't let you down. So I trained on the Thursday and Alex Murphy came up to me and he said, you've done well, mate, uh, be here tomorrow at six o'clock. Uh, we're, we're playing Barra at home and uh, we need a victory. We've lost seven on the trot and we need a victory, as though I didn't need enough pressure on me. Albert suggested this kid from Wigan St. Pat's, Andy Gregory. And Murphy said, are you sure, Albert? You know, he's, he said, we've not got anything around us. You know, and you couldn't go to clubs then and get loan players. And uh, Albert said, trust me. And he come along and I was at the, I was at the game and we played Barra, we beat Barra, he got the man of the match and uh, this, this kid was special, you know, and he was just barely 17, um, you know, always that same stature around him, but uh, you could see them, immense talent. And a regret for me that Salford, it's poor my time as chairman of course, but we never signed him. We sat down at half time and Alex Murphy came in fuming and he separated all the forwards and all the backs and he he railroaded the forwards for about it must have been three five minutes and i thought oh my god he's going to have a go with us now anyway he said this little fellow here he's tackling everything you know he's taking the ball to him just follow him just follow him anyway it came towards the end of the match and i, I should have scored actually I, I, I put two people through for tries and in the last final minutes somebody put me through a gap and I was just about to dive over and I dropped the ball. And, but we'd won the game. And just before the final hooter, it came over the Tannoy. And tonight's man of the match is number seven, A another. And he carried on though. And he said, and if you'd, if you'd like to know who it is, it's Andy Gregory from Wigan St. Patrick's. And everybody goes, oh, Andy Gregory from Wigan St. Patrick's. But Alex Murphy, little did I know, because he wanted to sign me. And he didn't want anybody to know that I'd played. And when he came into the change rooms after, he had this, always had this. He had this white mac on, and it was covered in blood, because when the announcer had said it was number seven, Andy Gregory, Alex had jumped up in the dugout, edited took the, uh, the the turns uh, the dugout, banged his head, and he was covered in blood. And he came in, and he didn't give the players a telling off or anything. He said in no uncertain terms, "Who the hell is that? Tanoy assistant, get him sacked now." And they got him sacked. But I think he got his job back, but everybody knew then, it was all over the papers that I uh, I, I played a game for, for Salford, got man of the match, and then there was a few clubs interested in me. I spoke with Salford and negotiations broke down. There was about 11 clubs after me. Wigan was one of them, but I didn't want to go to Wigan. And I, I, I actually chose the club where I wanted to go. I had Leeds interested in Warrington, St. Helens was interested, but I, uh, I, I decided that I, I wanted to go to, to Witness. You're coming into an established side. A lot of players used to winning things. How did they treat the new kid on the block? It was brilliant. I remember Dougie, and, and there was one time when I was playing really well in the, in the A team, 
and somebody said he's going to give Gregory a chance he said I'll let him go when he's when I think he's ready and full credit to Dougie you know I hold my hands up to him at the time he was the worst coach in the world but he said Greg if you want to go back to Wigan for a month I'll tell you now you won't last a week you'll want to come back here and he bought John Taylor from Lee and he tried everybody in scrum half and then one evening we played I think it was Huddersfield or something in the John player and I came on at half time and I set up two tries and scored one myself and then the, the next game he picked me to play first team and players like Mick Adams was absolutely uh, phenomenal to me he, he put his arm around me and you know he said look Greg you know you're going to make it you know just take your time ease yourself into the game but we had great pros like Mick George Alan Dearden you know like Les Gawley but we had you know everybody we they, they, they all knew what success was at the time they was called the Cup Kings and I was lucky enough my 17th professional game was the first time when I walked out at Wembley for witness against Hulkinson Rovers as a like a young lad your first Wembley is always important any Wembley is important I remember the first scrum after about five minutes and witness were playing in black and white and Ulkinston Rovers in, was in red and white and I tell you the truth going up Wembley Tunnel I can't you know that I cannot remember that at all and uh, I remember there was the first scrum I got the ball in my hands and I was just like looking I was lost looking at red and white all around like 90,000 supporters and I was just looking and my own player Mick Adams came up to me bang hit me on the back of the head and he said get the ball in the scrum if we pick that cup up you can stay here all afternoon I'll stay with you and we can look at the crowd and wave to them let's get that cup in our hands and that's what I mean you know he settled me down I had a quiet first half and in the second half I got myself more in the game I remember I scored the try and I was the proudest fellow on, on the world you know my first Wembley playing for witness my club who I chose to go and play for absolutely brilliant members great people great supporters I'd scored a try and I was as proud as punch. A drawn final at Wembley, a classic final as well against Hull FC. Yeah, it was. Uh, we had the game won, and uh, I don't know if we we got overconfident, but then Hull just turned it, and you know, full credit to them. They picked this team of, you know, there was like it was like the Chelsea pensioners. You know, they had like the front row was like what the hell? It was older than backache. But they, they, they played well that night and you can't take anything away from them. They, they, they really, you know, got stuck into us and they, they was, we had no qualms at all. We, we should have wrapped it up at Wembley, but we didn't. And they did a job on us at uh, Ellen Road and rightly so, they walked away with the Challenge Cup. Two years later, of course, uh, Wigan were your opponents in a Wembley final. That must have been quite an emotional moment playing against your, your hometown club. It was, and uh, but... You know, me and Joe, we, you know, we, we're wigging through and through. And, you know, we took a bit of stick in the press before the game and whatnot in the Wigan area. But, you know, we'd signed contracts for witness. Uh, Joe, like, he proved to be an outstanding player. And to rub salt in the wound, he went the length of the field twice. And, you know, the, even after the game, the Wigan fans, who you know, I loved a bit, obviously for 80 minutes, or a week they probably hated me and Joe because we weren't playing for Wigan. Great Britain last won the Ashes in 1970. In 1982 the Kangaroos came over and delivered a, a, a standard of rugby league that sent sort of seismic shocks through our domestic game. 
two two years later, you're going out to play Australia and New Zealand on, as a member of the Great Britain Tour Party. What what was it like trying to bridge that gap between these new breed of Australian superstars who were bringing new dimension to the the game of rugby league? I remember uh, in '82 and like the, the likes of Wayne Pearce and Mal Meninga, Eric Groth, Kerry Boosted, like Wally Lewis, Brett Kenner, uh, Peter Sterling, you know, like young, fresh-faced Australians coming through. And I, I played in the last test at Eddingley and uh, Great Britain was already 2-0 down. I got picked for the third test and we was in the game up till about six, 55, 60 minutes. And then all of a sudden, like, Wayne Pierce just, he scored three tries in about five minutes and from what's been in the game, we was just completely out of the game and that's how good they was. And then in 1984, we went and I must admit, uh, I've been to Australia on a few occasions. That is one of the worst. I'd just come back from Wembley. We just beat Wigan and I, at the time I was the number one scrum half in the country. I went out there and I played, I don't know what it was at all. I, I just played terrible and I didn't get in, I got on the bench in the last test in Sydney. Uh, Neil Alden, full credit to him, he took his, his chance in the in the provisional games and he played well. He was the number one scrum at the time over there. Ray Ashton was in, in second in the pecking order and then there was me. And then we went to New Zealand. I didn't get in the first test there. I got in the second and the third test. And then we went over to Papua New Guinea. So they still had, you know, playing Australia over in Sydney and Brisbane it's hard but playing them at that in you know at that time it, you know they, they was called the Invincibles and that's what they was. In 1988 the third test again a dead rubber at the Sydney football stadium if anyone was looking back at one of their favourite Great Britain test matches of all time some of the memories of that must come flooding back. And there's nothing bigger than you know like Britain against Australia and uh, I remember that week we was all training and we were training and we was going through them we're going through our moves and we said everything was going well and going well and you know the likes of mike greg and ellery you know talking at the back and you know we had big roy pebble there who'd come you know we need eat and in training we got aggressive and got aggressive and i thought you know we'll give them a go here you know and nobody would have believed me They're in the danger zone now. Let's see if they can put a string of passes together. Yes, they do. Andy Gregory, he gets a mile there in. Oh, that's all right too. Martin Hoffier in for Great Britain. Some spark work there from Andy Gregory. And the Union Jack flies here at the Sydney Football Stadium. But they're just into the 22 now. Gregory. Pins it out for Ward. He gets it back for Gregory. Gregory straightens the attack up. If he's got some runners, he has in Hume. Ball loose, Gregory there to snap on it. He's darting around, he's elusive, this little man. Loose pass back, it comes on to Ford. He's a step up forward, winds up Ford, he stands up there. Oh, it again. Oh, there's a good play there that time from Ford. He can step this ball, I'll tell you. And Andy Gregory doing the lead-up work again. Ten metres out. Andy Gregory. A little chip kick. They've rehearsed this many times at training. Through the runners come. 
Henderson Gill, and it's a try. Well, it's worked again. Look at this. Henderson Gill's gone absolutely mad. Absolutely mad. Slapping hands. Say, what about that? Well, it came out of the training move, but watched him do it repeatedly. Andy Gregory slotted the kick in, and he's done it. This is Lachlan. Lachlan winds up. Lachlan straight to Australia. Still going, Lachlan. And he's got support, too. Unloads it. Oh, look at this. Henderson Gill winding up to chase Gary Jack Cotley, but that's a great try. Oh, great Brindley, and he does a bit of a boogie. And the Union Jack flags here have gone absolutely crazy. Andy Gregory makes another three. On the television, literally on my feet, jumping with my hands in the air, staggered by the quality that we saw. That Australian side, they weren't called the Invincibles for nothing. People don't make up names and stories like that, you know. And Gregory to Gregory with Martin Fire wanting the ball off Mike Gregory that he's never going to get in a million years was was an iconic moment in our game. It's 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 a part now of the fabric and the history of our sport. Um, you know, and, and you're simply jumping up and pumping the air because it's such a brilliant play. And, and let, let's remember the way that the, the modern game has gone. You know, that's Andy Gregory in his own 20 on an exit set. Exit sets didn't even exist at that point when you're trying to work the ball off your own trial. And he's just looking up and playing what he sees. There's no structure. He wants the ball. He wants it regardless of who's in front of him. Doesn't matter what play it is or what time of the game it is. He wants the ball because he's seen something and he wants to do it. Mike Gregory had the class and the brains and the physical ability to read it and go 80 metres. And, and no one will ever, ever forget that, that moment in our history. I remember looking at the footage of the game and when Mike Gregg went the length of the field, one of the cameras picked me up, I've got my shirt on, and I just turned around and punched the air knowing that, you know, that we'd beat Australia and yeah, absolutely tremendous feeling. Going back to the domestic side of things, I, you left Widnes in maybe not the best circumstances. I lived in Widnes at the time, Reggie Borden just lived up the road from me and he was the coach at Warrington and Reggie said, Greg, this was on the Sunday afternoon, uh, he said was the Challenge Cup deadline were coming up, he said Witness will sell you but you're definitely not going to Wigan. Wigan's made a record bid for you but they won't accept it. So if I were you, do you fancy coming to Warrington? I said well I've no option. So I sure you can be Reggie, he got the forms and <laughs> I remember phoning my mum up and I said mum, mum I've signed. She said oh great, great and I said for Warrington. And she put the phone down on me. <laughs> he was an excellent player and good players you wanted at Warrington. Warrington were going through a transition stage at that time and, and we, whilst we, we looked good on paper, we weren't really performing. So uh, I think it was around about 84, 5, I think. And I think, I think one season he virtually kept us up on his own. You're bringing in uh, a maverick talent and with that you're not going to make him sit in a corner and behave himself um, all day and all night because he ain't going to do it. The die out Warrington fans knew 
if there was a chance that I would jump on it and I'd go to Wigan. You know, but it wasn't to stop that. I did two years there. I didn't let them down. We won the Premiership final. You know, we had a great pack there. That was against you know. Halifax, wasn't it? That was a tremendous game. Yeah, we uh, we had great players, and I think our pack was something like like Les Boyd, Carl Webb, Kevin Tomate. <laughs> Why would any scum half want to walk away from that pack? You know, and then uh, but you know, from the wing, like we had Fordy on the wing, and we had Brian Johnson fullback, Ronnie Duane, Ian Duane. You know, and me and Ken Kelly at halfbacks, and uh, we had a good side then at Warrington. There's there's, there's some uh, misconceptions about uh, about Greg because of the way that life ha has gone on. He trained as hard as anyone I ever saw, and as any uh, trained as hard as anyone in that Warrington team at the time. He had a bit of a fallout with Tony Barra. Uh, we didn't see eye, see eye to eye, and he was pushing for Paul Bishop, and I thought I was a better scum half than Paul Bishop, and I ended in a transfer request. And uh, it was funny because at, at Wilderspool then they had like a bar under the stand and the boardroom was next door to it. So I walked past the bar, went in, I said, I, can I have a move? You know, I want to transfer. And they said, well, put it in writing. So I walked out, went in the bar, wrote it on a beer mat, threw it at them. And they said, yeah, you're on the list at 175,000. I thought, oh, great. That was a record fee. So anyway, eventually I... Uh, I moved and, I, and you know, I went to Wigan, but I've got some great memories. But I think deep down they knew that I was only, it was like a place where I was going to stay. But I got play of the year there twice at Warrington. And the fans, some of the fans still, you know, thank me for the contribution that I did for the two years. So finally, 1986, the reported fee of £130,000. You finally make your mum happy, come home and sign for Wigan. Made myself happy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Wigan really on the up, aren't they? I mean, desperate times, not too long ago prior to that, relegation to the second division, and people like George Fairburn, who you played with for Great Britain, really held Wigan together. He did. Finally, you know, Wigan are on the up, a, a new board of directors, and, a, and an amazing revival at Central Park. As you walked in through the doors there and signed for Wigan, were you conscious at the time you were going to be part of something really big? No, because when I walked through the doors for the first time I signed for them, I went into the, straight into the away team changing room. <laughs> and Morris said, no, Greg, you're up this way now, you've signed for us. So I walked in and, you know, the faces who were there, I'd, I'd played with at international level, I'd played against them at club level, but, you know, to walk through up that tunnel for the first time, being a Wigan player, was something special. And uh, it brought back memories of my granddad who used to take us as kids, because we used to live in Ince, and my granddad and my mum used to take us up the road to Central Park, sit us on the, on the uh, and I was, you know, I was just thinking I wish my granddad could watch me walk out, you know, at Central Park in a Wigan shirt. But uh, I walked in and all of them made me, you know, from Steve Hampson to Ellery, you know, to Joe, you know, they all made me really welcome. And, you know, it basically it was another international player going into a squad which, full credit to Morris Lynch and Jack Robinson, uh, Tom Rathbone, they, you know, they had a vision what they wanted from Wigan. They knew they'd get the fans once they got a decent, you know, team on the field and that's what they was pushing for. And they wanted, at that era, they bought, you know, the best players they could. No one was ever going to get in Andy's way and, and I said it before, players, coaches, directors, media, supporters, he, he knew what he wanted and at that point, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the Wigan, the Morris Lindsay master plan was just being hatched and it was a piece of genius, you know, it was, a, it was to deck the best player from every club that played against Wigan and put him in Wigan and thus weakening every other club. Brilliant.
evil genius. Manly Waringa come over to play at Central Park. 38, 39,000, maybe more at Central Park. Who knows what the crowd was that night. And the most intense game of rugby league, a time when Australia are dominating the international stage. Wigan with a homegrown team, largely with one or two imported players, beat them. No tries in the game, 8-2. David Stevenson's uh, goal kicking, superb that night. Must have been an amazing game to play in. I said to myself, I said, it's something special this game. And we, we got to Central Park about quarter past six for, and it was eight o'clock kickoff. And we went up into the room behind the post. And uh, anybody knows it, it was like the M pen, but they had like big windows there. It, used, it, it was the old boardroom. And uh, I took a peep out and it, it weren't half past six, it was an hour and a half before kickoff, and the ground were full. And then it hit me how, how special this game is, because we'd never played in one of these before. And uh, so we went out and, like, I said, come on lads, you know, let's, have, let's start thinking about this. This isn't just an ordinary game. It's 80 minutes and it is a game, but we've got to pick it up. You know, we've all played in test matches and this isn't, like, I know it's club level, but this isn't far off the ultimate what we've all achieved and what we want to achieve. It's the first World Club Challenge, let's get our name on it. Here's Ellery Henley, about to lead Wigan out, and in contrast, wait for the reaction of the home fans as the Riversiders make their way onto their home pitch, Central Park. And listen to the crowd. So Brian Case, one of the veterans in the side, for Edwards, out to Andy Gregory, spinning it out wide. Hampson hits the line, but beautifully picked off that time by Fatty Wharton. Joe Lydon. Potter. Driven to the ground by some strong manly defence. Headed by Gibbs in the penalty. The first for Wigan. Goes against Ronnie Gibbs. David Stevenson, the ball placed about 11 metres in Manley's end of the ground, centre field. I think the crowd will tell the story of this success. He's hit it very well. This ball game is all tied up with five minutes gone in the first half. Manly two, Wigan two. He's the danger man in this Wigan side. He's been closely checked so far in the first half. There's the kick from Edwards. Picked up, Ellery Hanley. And Manley's defence stretched to the limit. There's a fight in back play. The referee says play will go on, but finally he blows the whistle. It's broken out in about three or four places, and I suppose Wigan are really irate at that. They're in a great scoring opportunity when the whistle went. On the 22-yard line, or just beyond it, has the ball placed. This time the flags go up, and Wigan hit the lead. For the first time, they lead by four points to two. Watch for Joe Lydon, we'll see the clearing kick from inside the quarter line. Well, good, that's good pressure by Gibbs, but Lydon evades the tackle, but it did put his kick under pressure. Oh, Lydon fielded it beautifully! Good way, Sean Edwards, superb play by Wigan! Edwards, oh, what a great counter-attack by Wigan! And Joe Lydon was the man that sparked it. And a penalty. Superb play by Joe Lydon. He is capable of anything on the day. And once again, he showed his great class. What a vital kick this one is for Wigan. Well, the flags go up. Wigan go to a four-point lead. 
They lead by six points to two early in the second half. They've had their backs to the wall in the opening three or four minutes of the second half. Andy Gregory, Edwards, through the dummy. Gee, he's got some pace. But he ran into a brick wall of Ronnie Gibbs and also Paul Horton. Lydon, attempted drop goal, taken out by Gibbs. The touch judge in. Well, I would like to see it again in replay, Graham Eady, because Gibbs, I felt, was committed. He didn't miss him, I can assure you of that. Were you watching back play? I, I didn't really see it. I saw Ronnie Gibbs going through, but then I uh, was watching the flight of the ball. And I think he's been sent from the field for using the elbow. Ronnie Gibbs, I didn't see whether he got minutes in the sin bin or whether he's been sent from the field. I think he's been sent from the field in his very last appearance. Stevenson steadies himself. This is a vital kick. He's got the distance. And he's kicked it. So Wigan go further ahead. They lead by eight points to two. Edwards can scurry from dummy half as well. Now he unloads it for Gregory. Attempted drop goal. But it's wide of the mark. 8-2 the scoreline. It still remains here at Central Park. Well, four quid entry. Uh, Maxie, I think the fans have got their money's worth. They certainly have, David. The, uh, if this was on all the time, this is like interstate football, the old state of origin. No quarter asked or given, and the boys are really getting stuck into it. The defence of this side, you, you spoke about it earlier, it's the Tempest flare. That's right on. Wayne comes in, and it's an all-inner here at Central Park. Ringside action of 37,000 people. I knew Manly came here knowing they were going to have a battle, Graham, but I really don't think they thought they were going to get it as intense as this. Well, a long way to come. 12,000 miles for the Manly side. 41 minutes. 41 minutes. Six more to go, says the referee. That's it. It's all over. Wigan are the world club champions with a thoroughly deserved victory by eight points to two. There was no try scored, but people will always remember it. And as it happens, like Sean Wayne, he, he got man of the match, you know, and he deserved man of the match. You know, he took it up to him. And, you know, we we were so proud that night to be crowned as World Club Challenge winners. And, it, it, you know, it, it's a special night because, you know, there wasn't much going to be played and, you, you ask anybody, Andy Gregory loved throwing the ball about, you know, and making little breaks and putting people under the sticks and whatnot. But in that game, there was none of it. You just had to roll your sleeves up. And if you saw a manly Warringah player coming towards you, you used to have to tackle him and somebody would come in and give him a dig. 1988, your very first Wembley Cup final for Wigan against Halifax. You not only win the game, Andy Gregory wins the Lance Todd trophy. Lance Todd, you know, an iconic figure in the game. Played for Wigan before the First World War and uh, such a revolutionary man in the, in the 30s with Salford and sadly lost his life in the Second World War. The Lance Todd trophy named in his honour. What does it feel like to win the Lance Todd trophy at Wembley? It, it's special. I remember one, them Wembley finals, what I had with Witness was absolutely 
unbelievable. And the memories I have of them, you know, like the, the comeback times, you know, when we got back to Norton Park and, you know, they were brilliant. But to, to win it for your hometown club, you know, I spoke to Alex Murphy about it and, you know, he's won it with Lee and he's won it with it. But it's always special when, you know, you, you, you know he's done it with Warrington. But to win it for your hometown club, Wigan, that's where I was born and bred. And it, it does make it special. Winning is, is good, but to get a bonus for winning the man of the match at Wembley for your hometown club, it, you know, you have to pinch yourself at times. You won the Lance Todd Trophy in 1988. You won it again two years later against Warrington. But the, the cup final in between those two, a lot of people say that was the most complete cup final performance any team's ever given. Wigan 27, St Helens nil. That week we trained really, really hard. And being a Wiganer as I am, the, you don't need any incentives to play against St Helens. You know, there's no love lost at all. You know, and people talk to me about the old and old KR derby and, you know, Leeds and Wakefield and the other derbies which but that Wigan and that Wigan and Saints, you know, you have to play in one to, to realise what it means. And uh, it must have been the easiest team talk in the world for Ellery that day, you know. Where you playing? Wembley Stadium. Three o'clock, who against St Helens? <laughs> That'll do me. You don't need building up for that. You know, and we went out and there was a lot of press about the two Australians who flew in and uh, I think it was Michael O'Connor and uh, Faddy Barton, I think. Yeah. And which, you know, took a lot of the press up for, for St Helens where we just got on with the job and we just went out day in day out and we went down to Wembley we had a training session and everything just like clicked you know and you know yourself when when you're walking out and you look around in the changing rooms in the build-up when you're going on the team bus when you're going up Wembley where everybody was we knew we had a job to do and we had players like Sean Edwards like Ellery like Joe at the back you know like myself in the middle who were calling the shots we knew what we had to do and you know, in a in a way, I, I, I felt sorry because there's some good lads in that St Helens team, and you know nobody likes to get snilled at Wembley, but uh, we just went out and did what we had to do, and that was probably one of the most complete performances that I played in. Nineteen ninety, you play your old team Warrington, and uh, again a, a Lance Todd Trophy winner. What, what are your memories of that final? To be honest, I think what swayed it for me to to win Man of the Match was uh, I made a bit of a break up on the on the left hand side, and I'm not sure if it was Kevin Arrow or Tony Arrow who was on me, on me, on on Mark Preston. What somebody was on me outside, and I thought, well, he's got two fellas there, so. I, I actually looped beforehand and then I carried on going and then I knew because it was unbelievable. Sean Edwards and Ellery Hanley are the best backers up to score tries ever. So I knew one of them would be there on my right hand side. So I got the ball and I just flicked it over 
and who got the ball which was Ellery and he just went and went under the sticks scored the try we kicked the goal and that virtually changed the game and I think that's what tipped it for me to get the the Lansdowne trophy. 91 uh, St Helens come back to Wembley a much harder fought mm. game and that, that was a, a way that Wigan found a way to win that cup. Uh, yeah in that team then you know we never say die we had that attitude not just in the 80 minutes playing but when some of the training sessions you know there was nearly like bust ups in the training sessions and we'd train and train and train hard but we'd have a laugh and joke about it but we'd, when we had to put the hard work in we are everybody put the hard work in and uh, all of a sudden somebody would shout test match pace and then we used to just go for 10-15 minutes and we all just pass 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 and we'd kick and pass and throw tackle and we did everything at 100 mile an hour and if somebody dropped the ball or somebody threw a forward pass Honestly, you should have heard the players, you know, giving them like a right telling off. But that's what made us. And then all of a sudden, the coach, Graham Lowe or John Morney, did say, right, that's enough. Go on, I'll see you tomorrow. And everybody walked by and said, oh, it's gone well, it's gone well, you know, belting. You know, let's play like that tomorrow, we'll blitz up. And that's how it was. We was just all, but we was all living on, you know, playing on confidence because it, we, we used to, we, we never used to talk much about the opposition, but we knew they they used to hate Wigan because we were so successful. 1992 you're back at Wembley and uh, Wigan fifth successive uh, Challenge Cup winners medal for you against Castleford it was to be your last Wembley final. It was my last game for Wigan I had two cans on a contract and they wanted to change it when I got back and I said like Luke I've had two cans with my contract and uh, they said well Andy you know we, you know we can't give you that and I said, well, I've, I'll stick to my part of the deal. And he said, well, we can't stick to ours. I said, well, fair enough, I'll leave. And it was a big wrench for me, you know. I'd just come back from a disappointing tour. And I thought he had a couple more years left in me, but obviously the board didn't. He spoke about that ruthlessness that Wigan had and that ability to, to move players on uh, at a time when maybe they were on the way down. You probably never thought that would happen to you. Uh, well, you know, it's a, it's a sport where, you know, you can't play forever. No. And I didn't put me, I didn't put me head in the sands. I, I was leaving what was, you know, the best part of me with league career. It was where I was, you know, brought up over on Britannia Bridge playing fields with my brothers, and all of a sudden, you know, they they basically showing you the door, and you either sulk and pull your face and. Or you get on with it and I rang a few people up and uh, Dougie Lawton rang me and he said uh, do you fancy a couple of years up at Leeds I didn't think the Leeds public saw the best of Andy Gregory they did in certain games and you know you speak to the Leeds fans and I get on really well with them you know and they said Andy you know you didn't let us down but I thought deep down that I could have done better and I went to see Dougie and he's always been firm with me, Dougie Lawton. He'll, he'll always be a mate of mine. And I said, Dougie, do me a favour, mate. I said, you know, I'm a Lancashire lad. If I can set, find myself a club, I'm not holding a gun to your head in any way, but if I can find myself a Lancashire club, you know, I'll go back. And, you know, I said, I don't think I'm doing myself any justice. I don't think I'm doing the team any justice or you or the fans or the board. So let me go, will you? And it, he said, I don't want to, but. I'll, you know, I'll trust your wishes, like, and this is that and the other. So I went to speak to Albert White, and I went to Salford, 
which I was happy with the move, but when I got put my boots on at Salford, uh, there was a time up at Ulkingston Rovers where I just thought, you know, this isn't, you know, I'll try and bring a couple of the young guns through and give them a bit of experience, but I, I'll try and see through to, I'm talking to myself now, I'll see if I can get through to the end of the season. And I played one game and that was it. And I took my boots off. I never said anything to anybody. I just put the boots down and walked away. And I just, uh, I never, I told the coach after a few weeks that, you know, I'd retired. Told the board, John Wilkinson and Albert White. And I never announced that I'd, I'd retired, but uh, I don't think I'll be coming back at 52. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that is that how it happens? Does it yeah. ha suddenly happen just one, just like that? Yeah, I, I I set myself standards from a young age, and I couldn't fulfil them. I I think my head were telling me to go through a gap, but my legs weren't going through a gap, and I would never ever in in, in any game would I go sixty yards, seventy yards, or eighty yards. I could go t five, ten, fifteen yards and go through a gap and slip it to Ken Kelly or slip it to Sean Edwards but them days are gone and I realised that I wasn't doing myself like I say myself justice or the team and I didn't want to be known as you know, a player who carried on a year too long. You went into a coaching career and a very successful coach with Salford. Salford just missed out on the Super League. There was talk of a merger with Oldham and that didn't transpire so Salford began the first summer season in the, uh, in the first division and uh, successfully won promotion. But along the way, ironically, you, you play Wigan in the Challenge Cup. Wigan's dominance of the competition finally ends at the Willows and you're the coach of Salford. What, what are your memories of that day? Uh, I remember going back to, I remember th that Division One and Keatley mm. under Phil Lauder, they, they put a lot of money into trying to get out of Division One. They was our main rivals. When we won the league, we thought we was going up to Super League and the Rugby League, I don't know why, never give us promotion. And we got the players together and I said, look lads, we've done it this year. Unfortunately, we've not gone up and it's going to be a long 12 months, but we've got to win it again. And I got the board involved and we told the speckies through Neil Barker at the Manchester Evening, Evening News and, and we, we progressed that season and we the players did really remarkably well and we got promotion and then we went to it was in super league and that first season we finished sixth i think that's the highest they've they've, yeah. you know, they've been in super league but i remember being drawn to wigan in the uh quarterfinal of the challenge cup and i thought well they're gonna have to get beat sometime this one can't go on forever scott naylor held just short lee Lee tries to grab a kick, has looked to have been hauled down, the ball goes loose. And Mr Campbell awards the try. Fifth tackle. Burgess. Mark Lee. Scott Naylor. Naylor looking for the line, he's in. A second try for Salford. And Salford are keeping up their momentum. Blakely with the switch with Lee there's Naylor with the burst Naylor goes past Lee Naylor looking for the line he's lost the boot but he's got to the line and Scott Naylor gets his second try Salford just inside the Wigan half 
Blakely for Lee. Lee deciding to run it. Oh, and a great break from Mark Lee. Lee gets it out. Scott Martin with the chance. And Salford are going to score again. It's Scott Martin with the try. And that has stunned Wigan. An incredible break from Mark Lee. And Scott Martin just managed to get through the challenge and then sensibly went round close to the sticks. Well, there goes the hooter. And Salford celebrates. The fans are on the pitch. And great delight here at the Willows because Salford have ended Wigan's domination of the Challenge Cup. They've beaten the champions, the Challenge Cup holders for the last eight years by 26 points to 16. That was a great game, Matt. Um, you know, they all said which is, you know, the, the game you most enjoyed in your, in your time as chairman of Salford. And I always go back to that Wigan game. You know, there was no down for us really, you know, I mean Wigan then you know, 1-13, to 13, they were star-studded and the subs were equally as good as the 13 who had the shirts. Um, but Greg had other ideas. He brought Steve Hampson at fullback. he'd been at Halifax and finished his career with us. And I think that Ampo had something to prove as well. And, uh, you know, we had a, a very, very good side. Um, and when we went in front, you know, I, I can never, ever forget it. And then I'm watching me clock thinking, you know, where, where we're going to be here at the end of this because Wigan could strike at any time but to get that victory I think it went down as one of Andy's greatest victories certainly in, in his coaching and probably in his playing career as well because I think he wanted to beat Wigan deeply wanted to beat them and I mean they've been to Wembley then I think eight times and won it they've now come up against a side that's in a division below them I don't think any Wigan fan in the crowd could have uh, had any qualms at all they were beaten you know, by on the day a better side, and I had mixed emotions, obviously. But it's like when I were playing, you know, when I were playing for Witness, and we beat Wigan at Wembley. I were coaching Salford, and if I had like any sentiments or anything, I, I'd want Wigan to win, you know. But I were coaching Salford, you know, and I've trained hard, or I've coached hard all week, all season to get these squad of players together to go out and play in, and win in big games like this, and that's what I wanted. I think it's probably fair to say that you hold John in the, the highest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's a great bloke. And like I say, I know how, how Elaine and, and John felt, you know, that night, you know, because he, he has put a lot into to Salford. And, you know, it's, it's into a new era now with Dr. Kukash and whatnot. But I went on, on Sunday to watch the first game. And, you know, the, the, the dire Salford fans are still there and they don't forget you know they never will and uh, like i say it's a new era and i hope it's an happy one and a good one successful especially but i don't want people to forget what john wilkerson did for that club over a long period and with the disappointment of was not getting to wembley i was still coaching at that time and uh, they, they asked me to take the great britain world nines over to to australia and I did and we got through to the semi-finals and I, I asked John Wilkinson, I had a word with the rugby, I said we'd need a two a manager and I took John and he was over the moon to, you know, he, you know he, he's, he's not had much, he's put a lot into the game 
but for him to be Great Britain's tour manager on a on a Great Britain World Nights tour, he'll look back on that as a, a special time for him, and that's how I I hope I, I hold John Wilkes. But also the coaches who I've played under, and and certainly the chairman, you know, like Maurice Lindsay and uh, like Gary Edrington who's up at Leeds and whatnot, and Alf Davis up at Leeds, Peter I am at Warrington, you know, they've all. You know they've been all been you know good to me, and I've got a lot of memories of not just players who I played with, but you know people behind the scenes, Kitman, Little Taz at Salford, and Taffy at Wigan, great people, Ocker at Warrington, special people. You'd be playing for Wigan, playing for Great Britain, walk down the main street in Wigan. You'd always have a word with with everybody, and uh, you know he'd never be uh, he never changes a person. I think that's what people love about you now. Unlike a lot of players who played the game, you're still in love with the game. You still watch the game. You're still a fan at heart. I've been lucky because I've had so many memories. You know, like people ask me, you know, what was your best game? You know, if you, like, if you, you, if I'm lucky enough to tell people, I've been to Wembley nine times and never lost. You know, I beat Australia at Wembley. I beat them in Sydney. You know, I've got man at match at Wembley twice. Got man at match in Sydney. You know, like, there's that many things, you know, and, and my mum's got so many scrapbooks at home of I, my Berla days, my St. Pat's days, like my early days at Widnes, Warrington, Wigan, Leeds, Salford, coaching, you know, and there's, there's I, I look through them every now and again, and, th you know, there's memories, of, you know, I, I can remember having a picture to at St John Fisher School with St Pat's and looking at the faces, you know, some of them, Tracy Grundry I went to school with, Trev Stockley again, you know, they, they, they're things which, and full credit to my mum, she's kept them for years and years and years and you never know, one day we'll, have, you know, we'll get them out and have a look and get a, get an invite and get the people around, but uh, it's been good to me, rugby league, you know, it's, I've been all over the world, like you say, I played in Venice in a, in a, in a test match, I played in uh, an exhibition game in Milwaukee, and I've been to Papua New Guinea and I've been to France a few times and New Zealand and Australia so it has been good to me for a lad who's come from 13 Banner Street. <laughs> a string of passes together, yeah!